0: Today's reading is from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 to 29. Jesus appears to his disciples on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, then Jesus told him, "Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed." Amen. I don't know if you have ever had the wind or the breath
1: knocked out of you. Maybe in school, you know, you fell, or that you know somebody has barged into you. If you've ever been in sales in the shops, uh, just after Christmas, or whatever, you know, people are the elbows going everywhere, and, and you get you, and, and you. you In that moment, when you can't breathe, actually, it can be quite terrifying. And when you can't breathe, all you want to do is breathe. Now, some of you I know now will be sitting there going, and thinking about it. Because as soon as you start to talk about breathing, you begin to think about breathing. And then it's like, oh. The problem when, when you get the wind knocked out of you, it is not that there's no air. The problem is our diaphragm. And the diaphragm is the muscle that sits under the lungs, and when it expands and contracts, we breathe air in and push air out. It's quite straightforward. Getting hit in the stomach or in the back can cause a spasm in your diaphragm, though. And and it means it doesn't work in the way that it's meant to work. And all of a sudden, you're struggling for that very thing that you need most at that moment. Of course, if you happen to be lying on the playground or rolling about on the floor trying to get that breath, an explanation of the diaphragm is not likely to help very much or to do you any good. When you can't breathe, what you need is breath. And getting the wind knocked out of us actually can be a metaphor for the difficulties of life. We all experience moments and seasons of loss and grief and significant life transitions. And the stress of living can knock the wind out of us when life comes at us with punch after punch after punch, the claustrophobic walls of doubt can close in on us and it can seem really hard to breathe. And when we can't breathe, we stop in our tracks and everything else gets put on hold including the work that God has called us to do. And that's where the disciples were on resurrection uh, evening. They had just seen Jesus, their teacher, their Lord, their friend, disappear to death. And they were overwhelmed with grief and fear. They had watched as he was arrested and tried and sentenced, crucified and buried. They were traumatized. Like most Jewish people in. At that time, they had believed that the Messiah would come and set them free from the Roman occupiers. They were looking forward to a, a new kingdom, but it was going to be an earthly kingdom. A, a kingdom that was uh, in the way of David or Solomon, but, but bigger and better and eternal. They were looking for Jesus to kick the Romans out. And he was in a tomb, dead. They had been convinced that he was the Messiah. He was going to be the one who was going to lead them to greatness. And somehow they were going to have a place of greatness in that kingdom. But he was dead. Hope was gone. The loss of hope affects so many people in the world today. So many people when you look at Ukraine, when you look um, in in Syria and and, and other areas where where there's fighting, places where there's famine, places where they are struggling because there's floods, what people need is hope. And actually, so often, hope is just taken from them. In Scotland, we see so many young people taking their own lives, because they have lost hope. They don't see anything in the future. And here were these disciples who had had so many plans, who had had so much to look forward to, and everything is shattered, and hope is gone. They have, if you like, had the breath knocked out of them. And they are paralyzed by fear, hiding behind locked doors, just trying to breathe. When you can't breathe, nothing else matters. Of course, by this time, Mary Magdalena and the other women had told them that Jesus was alive, and Mary claimed to have spoken with him. But, well, they were just women. How could you believe the women? I mean, they couldn't even give evidence in court. They weren't to be trusted. Sometimes you might think nothing much has changed. The explanation and experience of the women was not valued. And it wasn't enough to give the disciples the breath that they needed. No, the mission of those first-century disciples of Jesus with their call to preach the gospel and to fish for people was on hold behind those closed and locked doors where they were simply trying to breathe. And here we are, two weeks after Easter, and even in this room and online today, there will be people who are simply trying to catch your breath. Life has sucker-punched you. And it's effectively knocked the wind right out of you. These last two years have been full of fear and anxiety and uncertainty. Things long established have disappeared. They're gone and nothing seems to be quite the same as before. The habit of being in church every Sunday has been broken for so many people. And even now people are anxious about being amongst others during these last two years because we have been in and out of church and online and all of that stuff. It's made it really hard. And we've got to this point now and we asked for volunteers to help with tea. (laughs) Do you know what? We are not alone. When I speak to colleagues um, in the Church of Scotland and and, and other uh, congregations, other denominations, we're all experiencing that same thing that things that had been going before COVID are not able to to run now because the people who ran them haven't come back. There are not enough people to do the work. And therefore there's pressure on leaders. There were more retirements than expected in the Church of Scotland last year. And in America, they tell me there is uh, what is bordering on a crisis because so many church leaders are just saying, I've had it. I've had enough. And I'm not doing it anymore. I never expected to have to learn how to edit videos. And yet, we did it. We managed it. It was my two-year anniversary here on Friday. I don't know how many Sundays we've actually been in this building. I don't know how many times we've been able to meet together, but I know there's been lots of times when we couldn't. And times when we came through the door, and we were all being very careful, and we couldn't touch each other, and we couldn't be close to each other. And times when you couldn't go and see somebody in their home. Sucker-punched the life, the breath taken out of what we do. And so add to that <laughs> the presbytery plans and all of the uncertainty and issues that go along with all of that. In this place that we are, there is a sense that the mission for which God has called us has been on hold. And we're waiting to take a breath. But then, suddenly and unexpectedly, surprisingly, Jesus himself was right there. And it says he came and stood among them. In the middle of their fear, he came and stood among them. In a room that was locked, now, you know, it's, it's very easy to kind of just gloss over that. The room was locked because they were terrified, because they were frightened that what had happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. And Jesus came and stood among them. John portrays Jesus' appearances as unpredictable and uncontrollable. He shows up when he wants to, how he wants to, and when he wants to. And yet there's a pattern in the surrounding text. So earlier in the chapter, we see that Jesus moves from one enclosed space to another, from the tomb to the garden, and then into this locked room. He shows up, you see, in the places where we hide. And he speaks words of peace. His blessing, peace be with you, is both a wish and a command that they would have wholeness in every area of their lives. It's a wish for them to have shalom, which can be understood as all is well. To wish someone shalom kind of implies that, that you want everything in their world to function as it should. Their family, their finances, career, emotional life, mental well-being, you fill in the blanks, even that jolted diaphragm that's causing them not to be able to breathe. Jesus speaks peace into the room before he does anything else because he knows that everything is not well with the disciples. They are experiencing the pressure of the world, but he has risen from the grave and has overcome the world. Jesus carries with him the promise and the power to bring true peace. And so he then invites the disciples to examine the evidence of his victory, that is himself. He says, Look at my hands and my side. He shows up in the middle of their fear and invites them to have a personal encounter with him. Every one of them was welcome to examine him for themselves and were told it brought them joy because they saw him for themselves. Mary Magdalene's testimony of her encounter with Jesus wasn't enough to move them towards catching their breath and moving on with life so they could fulfill God's mission. You see, God doesn't intend us to live for him based on somebody else's experience. They had to experience it for themselves. Even now, in the middle of your locked room of fear, Jesus has entered speaking peace and inviting you to examine the evidence for yourself. If you want to do that, can I suggest you start at the beginning of the book that we read from today, which was John's gospel. There's a shorter one, which is much more uh, sort of dynamic, if you would prefer that. It's only, it's only a few chapters. It's Mark's gospel, but John is great. John is really good. And the next two verses in this chapter, which we didn't read because we're coming to it later— says, you know, John says, everything that I've written here was for a purpose. I could have written so many things. In fact, so many books could be written that there wouldn't be enough space to, to have them all. But I've written stuff that will be enough so that if you choose to read it and to examine it and to look at the evidence, you can believe in Jesus. See, Life, Christian life and faith, is not life by proxy. It, it, it's not that somebody else can live it for you. Of course, it's good to hear what God is doing in other places and in other people. But I'm not closer to God today because you experienced Him. I get closer to God today because I experience Him. And you don't get closer to Him if I do. You need your own experience with God. God. See, often God shows up when the wind is knocked out of us. And as he brings his presence, we learn to breathe again. And we can refocus. Jesus doesn't speak a wishful shalom blessing you know, and allow us to touch him. He wants much more than that. He wants more than for us just to have an initial encounter with Jesus and then go back to life as it was. It's about transformation. It's about changing and allowing Jesus to work in us and through us to bring that change. There's much more with Jesus. He knows that the disciples then, as we sometimes do in our moments of loss and grief and doubt and transition, are wrestling to breathe. And when we can't breathe, the only thing that matters is breathing. So he speaks a shalom blessing a second time, and this time he reminds them of what they were asked to do He says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And he does something that we've been waiting for him to do all along. It says, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this wasn't Pentecost. This was not the Spirit being poured out on all people for all time. This was strengthening them to move forward. This was giving them the breath that they needed at that moment. It was God, if you like, breathing life into them. You see, Jesus doesn't give the disciples or as an explanation of why we can't breathe. You know, it's a small muscle. It's called the diaphragm. You know, oh, well, you're just stressed out. You're, you're experiencing grief. You know, that, that, that's not really helpful. One commentator translates it simply as Jesus breathed. He both shows us that it can be done and he breathes his life-giving power on us because he wants us to continue his work in the world and his mission is to bring about shalom wholeness in every place sometimes in, in my church past you would have had the, the the idea that that what we needed to do was to get people converted and we do we absolutely do but sometimes the only way you get to have that conversation is by doing work that says We are God's people and we love you and we trust you and we want what's best for you. We want to make your lives better. And only then do we have the privilege of saying, and here's the rest of the message. We want to bring wholeness to our community. And we can't do that by hiding behind locked doors in a claustrophobic room. The Holy Spirit is the power to breathe again. Earlier in John's Gospel, John the Baptist comes preaching and his message is that Jesus is the one who has the Spirit of God without measure. And who will baptize all who believe with the Holy Spirit. He'll immerse us in his Spirit. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I'm sure some of you will probably know what that is much, much better than me. It's a type of treatment that's used to speed up healing of carbon monoxide poisoning, of gangrene and stubborn wounds and infections, in which the tissues are starved for oxygen. So you go into the chamber and you breathe pure oxygen at a high pressure so that your body gets filled with oxygen and it helps the healing process. You're, you're immersed or baptized in what can help you catch your breath. And it will help to heal you in your physical life. And the same is true in your spiritual life. God wants to fill you, to overwhelm you with what is good for you. And that is himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. These disciples had entered a small space and they needed to be healed. They needed to catch their breath and Jesus showed up and Jesus is here today and whatever your claustrophobic place of loss or grief or transition or struggle is, that thing that is keeping you hemmed in, fearful and breathless, can become a place of healing as Jesus comes to you and you accept His breath. There's an old hymn that says, it's no secret what God can do, what He's done for others he'll do for you. And some of you now will have Jim Reeves as a wee earworm in your head. Uh, When the disciples saw Jesus and he heard his words of shalom, breathed his life-giving breath, Thomas wasn't there. And so they did to Thomas what Mary Magdalene had done to them. They told him, we've seen Jesus. And he went, I write I mean, why, why would you believe? He said, unless, unless I see him, unless I put my hands in the wounds, unless I'm not going to believe. And, and when, when you read on in the story, it's as if Jesus was there listening to Thomas' words, kind of eavesdropping on him as he struggled to catch his breath and get in his feet again. And so a week later, the disciples are together. They had kind of caught their breath. Fear doesn't seem to be the dominating force that had been the previous week. And it says Jesus came and stood among them. And he says to Thomas specifically, here you go. Here you go. This is what you wanted to see and to touch, to experience. He says stop doubting and believe. And what he's really saying to Thomas is, you know, you've you've had a chance to catch your breath and it's time to get on with living your life. And it's at that point that Thomas makes this declaration that carries us back to the very first chapter and verses of John's gospel. Twenty years ago, the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland um, received the Church Without Walls report. I think it was one of the most significant reports in my lifetime in church It was accepted, and then I think mostly it misunderstood or ignored. It called for radical change. That might sound familiar to us. But, you know, lots of congregations tried something, and then when it didn't work, when it didn't produce dramatic results, they said, oh, well, we tried that. And they didn't take it through. But the report itself says it's a long process. But the thing is, you see, in church, we keep coming back to it time and time and time again. Another report that says, oh, we should try this. oh, another, But we don't actually take it up. One thing it suggested was that we spend a year in a gospel. And so after Pentecost this year, we're going to do that. We're going to spend a year with John in his gospel. Because it's all about Jesus, the fact that he is divine. Right at the beginning, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he goes on to say that the Word is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And Thomas agrees. He takes a deep breath. And he just says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And just as the disciples and Thomas had a personal encounter with Jesus and his spirit in that time, so Jesus is here today to invite us to encounter him. To receive the empowerment of his breath by the Holy Spirit. To heal and to move forward with the mission that he's called us to. Each one of us has to decide how to respond to that. When confronted by the risen Jesus, the disciples, I have to say, the response was mixed. You would imagine after this, you would imagine that it was great, that there was never another doubt. Well, Matthew in his gospel in the very last section says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. And those last three words are deeply significant. But some doubted. Thomas gets a bad rap. Right? Thomas is the only one who's called doubting Thomas. But every other one of them was exactly the same. And you and I are exactly the same. It's not wrong to have doubts. It's not wrong to ask questions. But poor Thomas. All these years with this... Add on to his name. See, church history has it that Thomas ended up taking the gospel to India right across. He went east. And as he traveled, he proclaimed the gospel. He wasn't somebody who doubted. He was somebody who actually, at the end of the day, had amazing faith. Not long after this, we see these people who doubted standing out in the street proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. What made the difference? It was the breath of God at Pentecost. It was Holy Spirit being poured out on them and into the world. That was what made the difference. And if we want to join in, that's what makes the difference for us today. Amen. We're going to sing together another song. Look, ye saints, the sight is glorious.